You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our weekly Market Talk podcast. Today is Tuesday the 9th of June. I'm Stuart Banks from AIB Treasury and as usual I'm joined by AIB's Chief Economist Oliver Mangan to discuss the latest market developments. Olive, we lead off on the domestic front. Um, last week's news that tax receipts at the end of May were on a par with last year would appear somewhat counterintuitive, what one might expect given COVID-19. Irish quarter one GDP was also surprisingly strong. What is behind these numbers? Yeah, well, certainly we have better than expected data here last week. And I can say the same thing for the States. Well, it was a big surprise in the US employment report. So looking for a fall of 8 million in the US employment in May, and it can actually commit an increase of around 2.5 million. But in Ireland's case, there was a pleasant surprise in regard to tax receipts. These are now for the first five months of the year to the end of May. And, you know, over that period, we've been in lockdown for half of it from the middle of March. And yet, surprisingly, uh, tax receipts were on a par, as you say, with 2019 levels. Now, a lot of attention is focused on the fact that corporation tax receipts are well ahead of expectations. And those corporation tax receipts, the payments up to May, largely reflect the strong performance of the economy last year. But notwithstanding that, the income tax receipts have held up much better than anticipated. Now, maybe that a lot of the job losses are concentrated on part-time workers or low-income workers that don't pay much income tax. So certainly they were about a half a billion stronger in May than the Department of Finance had anticipated. And secondly, we, we know shops have been closed and what have you, but nonetheless, VAT receipts were stronger than expected. The department is suggesting that this may be an indication of a switch to online shopping which may be hard to pick up on official re- retail data, etc., but it's certainly coming through the tax receipts. So those tax receipts are certainly welcome. There was a very big rise in the budget deficit. Off the top of my head, I think it went to $6 billion from uh, virtually Ban's budget last year. That is all down to the increased spending in terms of the COVID payments, etc. So that was not a surprise. But the, the deficit itself is trending lower than had been expected on those revised figures because of the strength of tax receipts. And then, as you say, we had the quarter one figures for the national accounts, which is your G- GDP and how the economy is performing, etc. And virtually every economy has seen a contraction in economic activity in the first quarter of the year, reflecting the impact of the, the COVID lockdowns during March. And obviously, this Irish economy went to lockdown from the middle of March, and we saw a very sharp fall off in consumer spending, etc. And that's there in the figures. I mean, consumer spending nearly fell by 5% in the quarter. And then if you look at it on an output basis, we take the sort of retail stroke, transport stroke, hospitality sector activity fell by 13%, but was more than offset by a strong performance by exports led by our high tech, our multinational sector. So exports performed more strongly than anticipated. And even though the domestic economy contracted by around 1.5% in quarter one, the overall economy grew by 1.2%. Uh, and was up by 4.6% on a year-on-year basis, reflecting a big jump in manufacturing output. And as it's the information technology sector, but in particular the pharmaceutical sector, obviously a big demand for the products there in relation to the COVID outbreak, etc. So that more than offset the weakness in the domestic sector. So it was a pleasant surprise to see the economy expand in quarter one. I say that's rather unique in terms of the, the you know the Eurozone economy contracted, the US economy contracted. The UK economy contracted, but the Irish economy grew. Now, let's not get carried away here. We will see a deep contraction in output in the second quarter because, okay, we're starting to open up at this stage. But for really from April and May and early June, virtually all 
the economy in large parts of it has been in lockdown. So we will see a big decline in output. But it may well be that the overall fall in GDP, and we've seen some forecasts out there for 10 12% declines in GDP this year, that won't materialise. Certainly it was a good start to the year. And there are offsets to the weakness in the domestic sector. If we see another strong performance by exports in quarter two, as I say, from the multinational sector, it will help mitigate to some extent the sharp decline in the domestic economy. And looking at the second half of the year, restrictions easing, you know, output will rebound, the economy will rebound. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty about the strength and pace of that, but uh, it was welcome news to see on Friday that the government is accelerating the pace at which the economy will reopen over the next month or so. Okay. Uh, on the currency front, Ali, the, the euro it continues to appreciate as both the ECB and national governments roll out significant stimulus packages. Is this strength likely to continue? Well, first of all, I would say it's not just solely focused on the euro. You're absolutely right. I mean, the euro has risen from 108 against the dollar a month ago to 113 now. And, you know, going back on the last number of months, it's made ground against sterling. I think the big trend in currency markets is related to what's going on in the broader financial markets. We've seen very much, I say, buoyed up sentiment in global financial markets over the last couple of months. Very strong gains by stock markets. I mean, they're up by 35%. The Nasdaq is nearly back to its all-time highs. So we've had a very strong performance by global financial markets. It's reflecting increasing optimism. We mentioned the data there initially in regards to the US and Ireland. You know, economies are opening up maybe a bit quicker than people anticipated, but we're also seeing massive stimulus packages being brought forward by central banks and by governments and by the EU, etc. So what that has done is buoyed up markets. And what we call safe haven currencies, which were very strong earlier on the year, when stock markets are falling, there's a lot of concern about COVID, etc. The safe haven currencies tend to be the dollar, the yen and the Swiss franc. They're the three main safe haven currencies. They've lost ground over the last couple of months, particularly over the last month, as markets become more optimistic about the economic outlook. So it's not just the dollar's been weak. I mean, the, the euro has risen from 115 yen to 124 in the past month alone. That's a one-year high. We've seen the Aussie dollar, it, it fell to as low as 55 cents in March. It's up to 70 cents against the US currency. Canadian dollar making good ground as well. So the safe haven currencies are losing ground, but the euro is benefiting, all right? Uh, there's no doubt about that. It's been helped by the fact that the eurozone may have been slow to get going, but in the last month or so, we have seen a significant stimulus packages unveiled by the ECB. And on Thursday, it signaled a bigger expansion to its QE program. That's its bond buying program that had been anticipated. So, And also that will run for another 12 months to the, you know, large-scale bond buying for at least another 12 months. That's very helpful for financial markets. We've seen the European Commission unveil its big recovery fund. We saw last week the German government come with a major fiscal stimulus plan one is in the works for France as well. So that is helping, um, certainly helping the euro. Now, I, I would caution people who follow the currency markets to just be aware. The euro dollar rate has been in a very narrow range for nearly two years now. It's gone back to the autumn of 2018. 107 to 115 has contained all the action. And OK, there's been a big move in the last month, as you say, in the currency markets. Euro dollar has gone from 108 to 113. Really where it's back to is it was in a very narrow range of 112 to 115 in the first half of last year. We're just back into that range. So it hasn't really broken out of, of its main trading range that goes back to 2018. And that is quite a narrow trading range for such a long period of time. 
And it'll be a challenge for the euro to rise above 115 because it hasn't been there for nearly two years. And then 120 is another particularly big barrier. The euro has been at relatively low levels against the dollar ever since the eurozone moved to negative interest rates back in 2014. Those who are trade markets long enough remember 125, 130, 135, 140 for a long period of time between 2002, 2003 to 2014. That was the sort of levels that euro dollar was at. So to get above 120 would be a big challenge because ever since negative rates occurred in the eurozone or introduced in the eurozone in 2014, we've only seen the euro rise above. 120 for a few months in 2018 it wasn't sustained so generally 120 has capped the level uh, of the euro against the dollar over the last six years and then i say a lot of the trading in the last couple of years has been 107 to 115 so the euro has made good grounds but within trading ranges that i've seen occupied over the last couple of years i'll say that the message from the ecb last week was that negative interest rates are here to stay i mean the market certainly sees negative interest rates remaining in place in the eurozone until well into the second half of the coming decade we have futures contracts out as far as 2025 2026 that the current base rate the discount rate is minus 0.5 percent it's still being priced in around minus a quarter percent by 2005 2006 or sorry 2025 2026 so you know negative rates are here to stay which will be a headwind for the euro going forward Okay, Ollie, uh, sticking with negative rates and the dollar in particular, US Federal Reserve meets this week and they've actively cut rates in the, in the near term. The market has talked about negative rates possibly in the US, although the, the Federal Reserve chairman seemed to discount this. What can we expect them to say this week? Yeah, the, the markets have been toying with the idea that rates could go negative in the US. But as you say, the Fed has been knocking back against that idea. And I suppose the stronger than expected U.S. employment report for May will give them encouragement to hold the line on that. Uh, you'd never say never, but at the moment it's not on the Fed's agenda. What's the Fed going to do this week? Well, I think it'll do two things. What it might try and do is guide the market expectations in terms of rates having come to a fit to zero. Well, we're going to keep them here for a long period of time. We may not go negative, we'll keep them at zero. So I think forward guidance on interest rates will be a key part of what the Fed has to say this week. And obviously it's pursuing what you'd almost call unlimited quantitative easing and it would emphasize that message that it will do what it takes in terms of its bond buying program to support the economy. So um, it'll be a different tack from the ECB, which is negative rates. Now the ECB has mood rates. The Fed has cut rates a lot. I mean, if you go back a year ago, rates were up near 2.5%, so it's been cut to virtually zero. So it's done a fair bit in terms of rate cuts. So I think it'll be guiding the market to say, you know, rates are going to remain low here for a long period of time. And again, if you look at futures curves, any rate increase in the US is a number of years away, and then rates are expected to rise at a very, very slow pace. I mean, there's no sign or expectation that markets think, you know, as the rates were at two and a half percent or two and a quarter percent last year in the in the US, markets think, you know, over the coming decade, rates might get to close to one percent. So I think that's what he'd be guiding saying low rates are here to stay. We don't need to go negative. And we're encouraged by the signs we're seeing in terms of a pickup in growth in the U.S. economy. Unemployment began to fall, a stronger than expected payrolls figure. So I think that's the messaging that will come there from the Fed. Okay, and finally for this week, um, Ali, the U.K., COVID obviously continues to dominate the headlines. But uh, in the background, obviously, there's a trade deal to be negotiated by the end of the year. Progression, there doesn't seem to be any progression in this regard. Sterling is obviously weakened. 
uh, on the back of this, what, what can we expect as we move into the second half of the year? Well, you're right. I mean, the, the latest round of negotiations have concluded and the officials have made much progress. The sticking points remain around fishing rights, but in particular, the rules of engagement in terms of how future trade will be conducted. And the, the big word is alignment. The EU is insisting if you want access to the single market, you're going to have to play by our rules. And the UK is saying we do not want to be a rule taker. And this is an unfair condition to impose the trade deal. So as with everything else, I think this will get resolved at a very senior political level. And uh, in that regard, Boris Johnson is to meet the head of the European Commission and the head of the European Council Ministers later on this month. He may move it on. But I think the, the general expectation is that you know the real tough negotiations probably won't start in September or October. It doesn't leave much time to conclude a trade deal. I mean, you're absolutely right in the sense that we might wind up with no trade deal here at all in December. And what the UK has ruled out is extending the transition period for the talks. So they want the talks done and dusted by the end of this year, and we either have a trade deal or we don't. I think what we'll probably wind up with is, because we haven't much time left here, is a relatively bare-bones trade deal. And what I mean by that is you won't see the imposition of tariffs but the UK could be locked out of you know, significant parts of the single market. It'll be a very inferior version of the single market. So for services, for example, one of access to the European markets, there may well be, uh, UK may well have to be regulatory standards to access European markets. The UK won't impose tariffs on uh, imports from the European Union. The European Union won't impose tariffs on exports from the UK that go to the European Union. But that may be the height of it. So it would involve a lot of form of thing and compliance with regulations for traders next year, it won't be a great trade deal. But over the next three to six months, I mean, we, as ever with Brexit, we could be looking down the barrel of a shotgun of another date in December, looming and wondering whether we have a deal or not. And against that sort of background, you would think that sterling remains vulnerable. So as you say, the euro has risen from around 84, 85p up to a range of 89, 90. Last year, the euro got to 93 at the height of the Brexit uncertainty in August, September, that could well be tested again. Now, obviously, if there's no trade deal, I think, uh, and we have an effect of hard Brexit, sterling would fall very sharply in those sort of circumstances. But you'd have to say for the second half of the year, for the balance of the year, sterling is likely to remain volatile. I think there'll be periods of weakness as markets grow increasingly concerned about the lack of progress in the trade talks and fears grow that we could be into effectively a hard Brexit and no trade deal at the end of the year. So sterling is vulnerable in those sort of circumstances. Ollie, we'll leave it there for this week and thank you as always for your insights. COVID-19 continues to dominate both conversation on markets and for customers impacted by COVID, you can find the details of AIB support packages on our website, aib.ie forward slash COVID. Thank you to our customers for listening in and to stay up to date with the markets, please press the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.